Welcome to Artistic Accomplices. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and this is the podcast that's all about art, creativity, and learning. We all could use a little creative nudge every now and then, something that will prod us, encourage us, and give us a shot of inspiration. Well, Artistic Accomplices is the podcast that does just that. It gives you small doses of motivation and creative encouragement. So as you make, create, play, and live, I'm here to share my thoughts on art, creativity, and learning. I'm also going to interview artists, writers, educators, and much, much more. So like the gym buddy that motivates you to hit the gym on a regular basis, Artistic Accomplices is that little voice in your ear telling you to hit the studio or to pull out the paints or to pick up the pen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's dive into today's episode. All right, welcome to the podcast. I'm Eric Scott, and I'm excited today. I've got a very good friend of mine in the studio on the podcast today. I've got Steve Loya. Now, I've known Steve for nearly 30 years. Uh, (laughs) It's been a long time. Uh, We went to college together. Uh, We taught in the same uh, school district for for many years. Uh, He's an artist. Um, At one point, he was an amateur uh, musician. Uh, all around uh, uh, creative guy, so I've got him here just to kind of talk about stuff, have a bit of a conversation, hopefully uh, get some little uh, nuggets of inspiration out of there. So yeah. welcome, Steve. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Eric. It is a pleasure. <laughs> a pleasure. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, my name is Steve Loya, and I grew up not far from you um, on the outskirts of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, I, I, I lived out there for a long time. I attended Edinburgh University and eventually I got a teaching job out here. Um, I think you were the one actually sent me the application <laughs> and suggested um, I, I fill it out. And I've been out here for about 18 years now teaching art. And at one point I started making art and, um, and here we are, you know, <laughs> So you said at one point you started making art, but you've always been into art, right? So always. like, um, what kind of stuff, like when you were a kid, did you like to draw? So my, um, <laughs> one of my most vivid childhood memories was when um, I was three, and it was probably my earliest childhood memory, when <laughs> um, my dad brought home computer paper, I think that's what you call it, it's like a big line paper, and he, he brought home some of those big fat crayons, and I just remember drawing a dinosaur and I still have that that's one of the great things my parents kept all of my artwork my my grandmother on my mom's side kept it all so I still have this this um image that that brought me so much pleasure and it's so vivid in my mind today um but that's kind of where it started and I became the family artist um my brother was more of a sports guy whereas I love sports but art was my thing and um, I'd say, you know, visits to the Carnegie Museum was very inspiring, especially the Dinosaur Hall. Um, that made me obsessed about <laughs> dinosaurs, like a lot of young boys. And I just started drawing them all the time. And um, I remember having a little art exhibit in second grade. My um, second grade teacher, Mrs. Yeager, 
um, thought I had something special going on, and she gave me a little show, and that was probably <laughs> my first solo show at the, the young age of seven or eight. But um, now, did you have like, did you actually have an art class in elementary school? We did. Um, so the the first few years, it, it was kind of um, we had a teacher art on a cart. She'd come. Okay. It, it wasn't anything too special, unfortunately. It was more like we'd get some manila paper, and she'd say, you know, draw a picture of um, your summer vacation or yeah. you know, and, and it was neat but it was kind of I, I understand the limitations at the time and it wasn't until later we had kind of a legit art class um, in middle school and I would say high school was really when things got serious with art and um, I had a couple. I don't know if I could speak about them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, um, Jim Redinger, who, who I believe is still alive. I, I saw him a few years ago um, at a big um, alumni Seneca Valley alumni art exhibit, and he was one of my high school art teachers. Um, and then Dean Marshall, who is sadly um, not with us anymore. He he passed away years ago. Um, those two really. Um, opened my eyes to art, what art could be, um, to modern art. Um, and again, the Carnegie Museum comes back into play because um, we would go on these field trips and we would have these scavenger hunts where we'd have to find different artists and different genres and different kinds of paintings. So it, it really made us think about what we were looking at. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just kind of passively looking at the artwork hanging up. And... Um, that's when I fell in love with art and it, my, my mind was just open to a whole world of what art can be. So, yeah, cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I know with me, you've, you've talked a lot about, uh, Mr. Redding, Redinger. Yeah. Redinger. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I feel, I feel like from our conversations that we've had in the past that he had a really big impact on you. So yeah. besides like these field trips and stuff, how else do you think he, impacted you i mean um one of the things i was, was going to ask you was about mentor so it mm -hmm. sounds like he might have been some sort of mentor to you what what was <clears throat> what do you feel like his biggest impact was on you right, that's a very good question um so a, a lot of times in the high school art room he would be working alongside us so he, he would present um kind of a loosely based template um, of what we can work on. Um, it, it's a very modern kind of forward-thinking way of teaching art, I think, that a lot of um, art educators are, are um, using today now. But then he would be working alongside us, and his the art room was also kind of his other studio away from home. So we'd see him working on some awesome sculpture. He, he would just make sculptures from found objects, um, from discarded clay pieces that the kids would throw away. Um, he'd bring in all these metal things from the scrapyard and just kind of fuse them together. And I would see him working, and he would be so intent on, on putting these things together. And I thought, wow, you know, you can do this as an adult. You can do this <laughs> um, when you grow up. It's just not play. It's, it's not. I, I think a lot of people just associate art with this this play mentality. I see it yeah. a lot with young students yeah. that it's a, it's not. they don't see it as rigorous. They don't see it as like... Uh, regimented as like mm -hmm. a regular class yeah. um, so they come in the art room and they kind of get a little little squirrely but um, yeah I, I call it serious play serious if, if play, it is yeah. play it's, it's a 
it's more than just mere play. Yeah. There's something more to it. You know? Yeah, I definitely think there's a an element of play uh, in any kind of art, and I always try to encourage my students to experiment and play. Unfortunately, sometimes kids take that word to be like, "Oh, we just yeah. can like throw the clay and do this and that and, and run around the yeah, classroom." And yeah, so. Play Anyway, um, all right. So you you had this this experience in in high school. You went to Edinburgh University mm-hmm. of Pennsylvania. That's actually yeah. where where you and I met. Yeah. Um, it's it'll be thirty years soon. It's it's yeah, almost yeah. thirty years. That's crazy. <laughs> I think you had and this this really dates us because I think you had to borrow a word processor from yes. my roommate. Yes, that's how we to met. type something up, <laughs> and that's when we started talking. Yeah, yeah. people did not have individual computers. Well, if you had a cell phone, that was a rare thing. And oh, they existed and, back then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I think Seinfeld, was, right? <laughs> uh, so, but I think it was like the big shoulder strap kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, so you graduate from college, you've got a teaching degree. Yeah. Um, what was your art making like after that? What describe like yeah. sort of that that journey after college? So it, it was kind of a slump, um, to to be frank. Um, you know, you get a little bit burned out sometimes. I think from college, I, I think it's um, you know you have high expectations on young people. Um, they're supposed to know exactly what they want to do when they grow up. And um, I found after college, I just kind of wanted to sleep for a year. <laughs> but um, it, it was, you know, that said, it was a very good experience college. But um, being an art ed major in Pennsylvania, um, it was very difficult to find a job. Um, so I, I mostly subbed, did after school programs. Um, I kind of gave up art for a bit and I think one of my creative outlets was and I almost forgot was making music (laughs) um on my keyboard with a a cassette recorder in uh in the kitchen or in the bathroom because the bathroom had good acoustics but (laughs) I think you were one of the few people I I subjected to that stuff some of which was pretty decent and some not so much but but it was it was a it was still a creative endeavor even though you weren't focusing on visual arts it yeah. still was a creative endeavor and i remember yeah. you telling me about all these different concerts you were going to mm. and all this different music and yeah. uh and so you know I, I i wouldn't dismiss that as like part of that creative journey mm-hmm. um thank you and uh you know I it's agree. i think and i think diving into a totally different kind of medium often is what we need like because yeah. like you said i think we can get burned out we can get burned out not just like you know, with education, with college and stuff, but I think we can get burned out with the things that we do, like Mm -hmm. the materials that we work with. Um, And that's one of the things I always loved about teaching was that it gave me a chance to try lots of different materials, things that weren't necessarily like part of my repertoire Mm -hmm. uh, with my art. Um, So, so you went through this sort of dry period with your visual art, but Mm -hmm. more creative with, with the musical part. Um, so how did you get back into the visual arts? Because I mean, you, you're you're pretty yeah. prolific now Thank with you. the with the visual arts that you make. Thank you. You know, it was a very gradual thing, and and I always say I kind of wish that we had what a lot of people have today, which is that um, constant inspiration on Instagram yeah. and you know, online, um, whereas you kind of had to find your bearings yourself. Um, I think. You know, you helped out a lot with the Visual Journal. I remember you introduced that to me and uh, the work of Dan Eldon. And I remember I, I started working in there. 
Um, I also started working with collage. I, I just remember teaching and thinking, wow, you know, the, the kids are having so much fun. And, <laughs> and I would have fun making my little examples, but how can I do this for myself on, on a little more serious level? And I would come home just to relax, and I would cut up um, images from magazines, and I think I did a whole series of robots. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of, I guess, the genesis to um, getting back into art making. And then we had the um, the Smithsonian Naturalist Center yeah. in Leesburg, which um, got me back into drawing. I, I, I would go there after school sometimes, and and just sketch all the animal specimens and the, the fossils mm-hmm. and I think started building up kind of a visual um, vocabulary of things just by going to that place which which I miss so much it, it was I was so very fortunate to live five minutes away from it in Leesburg <laughs> for that time period but um, that's kind of how it started yeah so um, you're talking about how you know, back then, this was pre-Facebook, you know, yeah. this was pre-Instagram. Yeah. And like you said, it wasn't, we, we didn't have these huge online communities. Blogs were kind of starting to take off mm. and people were doing a lot of blogging. Yes. Um, but as far as like having like instant access to hundreds of images and, and you know, it's like, and we didn't have the cell phones where you had that with you yeah. all the time. You had actually, actually had to sit down at a computer right. and search this stuff and look through it. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about it like, you know, trying to find that inspiration and trying to like really kind of plug along on your own. Um, how, I mean, did you have anybody that you would consider like an artistic accomplice or were there people that were there that helped you kind of, in, that helped to inspire you, help encourage you through all that time? Yeah, I, I think since you mentioned blogs, um, it's, it's interesting because um, blogs were kind of in their early stages, at least on a visual level, because I know when blogs first started, they were mostly more for writing, and then um, people were able to start uploading images. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, Illustration Friday, okay, which um, I, I believe the founder um, is an illustrator named Penelope Dolahan, I think that's how you say her name. And basically, very simple concept. Every Friday, she would um, post a word prompt, and then you would just, you could draw it, you could paint it, you could illustrate it on your computer. Um, I think you couldn't use photographs. Um, it was more like drawing and painting and yeah. whatnot. Um, and then you'd scan it, photograph it, post it to the site, to the blog. And, um, you get feedback and usually very encouraging positive yeah. feedback um and i just remember um at the end of the school week i could not wait in fact on my lunch break every friday i i would go on my computer you know and and check to see what's the prompt <laughs> and sometimes i get started on it because yeah. it, it was just something to look forward to every week and it was just a nice way to get back into being creative and you had even though it was an online community you had you know, you had people mm-hmm. supporting you in, in some way, however superficial that might have been. Yeah. And eventually that's where I met my wife, Chris, <laughs> um, all the way in Trinidad. But that's a whole other story. But, <laughs> but she, she was very, and but uh, as far as support, she was very supportive. Yeah. Um, you know, eventually we hit it off so well, we would get um, together on Skype yeah. on, our, on our laptops 
and and every night like around 8 p.m we would encourage each other to, yeah. to work on art we'd talk um we, we'd watch tv um which was kind of funny because because i think she would get the show a couple seconds before me i, I think it was <laughs> was an er one of those hospital shows that we watched but I'm probably wrong, but I I'd always find out a little bit like a couple seconds ahead of time what would happen. Yeah. Um, because it it would be on her end. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. So. Yep. So your um so your lovely wife Chris is also an artist and yeah. she was she kind of started out more as like on the illustrated mm-hmm. part like working with computers yeah. and doing illustration yeah. and um so what's that like being married to another creative individual that does something similar i mean she yeah. she draws she paints she does i mean she does totally different subjects than you do but what is that like being having somebody there yeah. that, like that um I, I think she understands my um i guess insanity if it most people might view it as um she understands that need for me to go down in the basement studio for a couple of hours and and play with paint or work with paint um, try to work out ideas. Um, she understands what it's like, I guess, to be an artist and, and what, what's essential. Um, I feel like sometimes people who aren't artists might not um, quite get like why, <laughs> yeah. why you have to go into the studio and create. Why, well, why do you have to take the time to do this? Well, you know, I, I guess different strokes. You know, some yeah. people um, like to go gambling. Some people like to go to sporting events. Um, some people like to take a boat on the lake. I, I think for us, we like to to create. We like to make things mm-hmm. and make art. Yeah, I think one of my rules for basically getting in the studio for being an artist is to ignore everybody. That at some point you yeah. do have to just say, "Look, I love you, but I need to go do my thing. I need to go yeah. out to the studio." And I know I struggle with that. Um, my wife's very understanding. She she's yeah. not an artist. She's a licensed veterinarian technician yeah. but she understands that you know like i'll tell her i'm like i'm gonna go out to the studio for a couple hours yeah. and i think she likes kind of having some alone time absolutely for herself too yeah. so. and that works out well yeah that's a, that's a good yeah, yeah. It, i mean I, it can be a struggle though if you're making art and your spouse or your significant other doesn't quite understand like you I, I can't I don't I can't be around you 24 yeah. hours a day I need yeah. I need to go make something I need to go do this for myself because if I don't then I don't feel I don't feel fulfilled yeah and, and some people on the outside might view that as um, selfish like a selfish endeavor yeah. but it's anything but because you're actually fulfilling um, an essential internal need um, and if you don't you know that could manifest in, in a negative way um, in your daily life you know you, you could be very cranky to your significant other you might um take things out on people who did nothing wrong to you, you know? <laughs> yeah. um well i think that's why a lot of people in their uh either in their like during their middle age or like when they retire they do want to get back into that creativity because they i think they feel like yeah there's a part of them that maybe is missing or that they haven't tapped into yeah. into something it's always been there <laughs> yeah. uh so you know you talked about uh, making these collages uh, you talked about going to the natural center doing uh, lots of observational drawings mm-hmm. um, how would you describe 
your art now and what is sort of like your process? What yeah. I know you have several different sort of styles or ideas or themes, but yeah. how would, I mean, kind of describe your art or your process or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, as far as the naturalist center thing as a kid, and I think it stemmed from the interest in dinosaurs. Um, I've always loved animals. Um, I, I remember watching um, Marlon Perkins, mutual of Omaha's <laughs> wild kingdom and just, um, I, w- I would literally cut out pictures from, uh, you know, magazines and, and, again, books and make little animal books and write down their names <laughs> and have my own little guidebooks. Um, so, you know, eventually it, it led to a series. Um, I started a few years ago um, where I focused on endangered animal species, um, mostly as a means of educating myself, um, learning about um, animals that I didn't know much about. And I feel like when you render them and when you draw them, you actually get to know them more and you do some research about them. Um, and that, that turned out to be a whole series, um, both um, on a more realistic level, but also with my, my Splotch Monsters, which is a whole other thing. Um, but one thing that <clears throat> a lot of my work has in common is that it all begins kind of with the element of chance. So with... Um, the Endangered Kingdom series, you know, I, I would lay down a wash of um, acrylic, watered down acrylics or watercolors, kind of in a very loose, abstract way, not try to think too much about it, let it dry, and then I would draw on top of it with um, pencil and, and uh, pen. Um, the same thing with the splotch monsters. I, I would put down the, the paint splotches, let them dry, look at them later, and then try to turn them into something. And lately I've been working on um, strictly abstract art, which started about a year ago. And that all started um, as kind of an accident. But um, again, it all started as just kind of working with chance, putting down some marks and then reacting to um, the initial marks and just taking it step by step. Like, so how do I, how do I kind of make this look better? How do I make this more aesthetically pleasing? And um, I think about uh, an interview with Gerhard Richter, um, a big curator. I, I can't remember his name, but he, he came into his studio and he was interviewing him. And he, he says, so how do you know when your work is finished? How do you know when it's <laughs> done? And Gerhard said, well, when, when I think it looks nice. And the guy's like, well, isn't that kind of a superficial reason to think <laughs> your work's done? I mean, you know, you're Gerhard Richter. You, you've, you've pretty much covered every spectrum of abstraction and art. You, you mastered photorealism. But I think what he was trying to get at it is almost like a glacier. You know, you see the tip, the top of the iceberg, but underneath that, that word nice, it's loaded with, there's a lot behind it. And he did go on to elaborate, and he talked about, well, you know, I, I make a mark and, and I try to shift it, see what happens, and then I, I keep responding to that until finally I have something that that I find aesthetically pleasing, yeah. visually pleasing, and um, that made sense to me. You know? <laughs> so. I, I see a lot of um, similarities. Maybe is mm-hmm. is a is a good word with your current work, those abstract pieces you were talking about, yeah. and some of Gerhard Richter's. Uh, especially because he's with a lot of his 
pieces now. He's doing these big abstract where he's scraping yeah, and yeah. and doing all kind of manipulations with with the paint. Um, were was that series inspired? I mean, I always think of you and music. I mean, yeah. you're you're a huge music lover. Not only did you go through that period of time when you were sort of kind of experimenting with your own making your own music, but yeah. I mean, you've got a massive music collection. You mm-hmm. love music. Um, is there a correlation between that work and music? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and this abstract series started out kind of as an accident. Um, I remember I, I initially wanted to try to render, I had this idea in my mind for the longest time of trying to show things that re- represented top, topographical um, maps. And there was one show in particular um, a, a call for art for the gallery that Chris works at, for Tris Gallery. Um, and they were doing, I guess, a series of um, airport codes. Yeah. And the one in particular was LAX. So I remember researching online um, images of, you know, California and the California coast, not far from LAX, um, from an aerial viewpoint. And I remember printing out different pictures. Then thinking, okay, so I'm going to try to paint something that loosely resembles the shapes and the forms of, of the landscape and the sea. And I just remember working on this thing for about three hours. And I think I told you the story of how Chris came downstairs to see how I was doing. And she saw that. And, and right away she said, no, that, that, that can't go into the show. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and considering she, she's the manager of the gallery. But, and I had to agree with her, and, and she was frank um, and trying to be as nice as possible. And I knew I had to go in a different direction. Um, I remember putting on some music. I remember putting down the paintbrushes, trying some palette knives. And I, I was mixing the acrylic paint. It was very thick with a gel medium. And I remember at one point kind of painting to the rhythm of the music and eventually kind of slipping and scraping the paint. And getting this beautiful kind of striation of color. And right there, something switched in my head and said, time to scrap the original idea. I'm just going to go in a whole different direction. I'm not going to think. I'm just going to do. Just start exploring, (laughs) see what happens. And eventually, after a few more hours, I I did come around to something that was pleasing. And I think in many ways inspired by music. And from, from that day on, I thought, let's... I love this. Yeah. This is a whole new spark. Let, let's do this on a weekly basis. But the one thing I found is that as much as I like to work in a, on a linear level and do one painting a week, I would look at things a few months later sitting in the studio and think, that, that's not finished. That, yeah. that actually needs a lot more work. And I would go back and rework it, almost destroy it, and then bring it back from the dead, <laughs> you know? So it, it is very much a non-linear process. But, um, I think that's something that a lot of people don't quite comprehend with art, um, yeah. especially with, with all those years of teaching. Mm-hmm. I always found that like kids and even a lot of adults expect like, oh, you make this one piece, mm-hmm. you finish it, and then you move on. And I think yeah. that's in part because that's kind of the way it's taught in yeah. public school. Yeah. But I know like, you know like we're sitting here in my studio and I've got tons of work that's that some of it I started years ago, some of it I started last week, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it just I, I pop around. It's like I'll start one thing, 
kind of feel like it's not going somewhere, then I'll start something else, and I'll have all these pieces kind of going at one time. Yeah. And like you said, it could be months, or you, you, for me, sometimes it's years later, and I'll look at it and go, oh, now I know what that needs to be, yep. needs to happen to that. Um, or it's just sort of like, something needs to happen to this, I'm going to make something happen yeah. to it. And just I start like, working. I like that idea of like, you know, almost completely destroying it and then kind of bringing it back. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So that kind of brings me to to this next question, this next idea of like you know these creative challenges. So mm-hmm. you know as you're working and you find that like a piece of art is just not going the way that you had envisioned, mm-hmm. um, or if you find yourself kind of like struggling with your with your making, how how do you do, deal with those mm-hmm. kind of struggling times, those creative challenges? Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of put it aside. It's hard sometimes not to obsess over it. You know, the artist mind, we, we do obsess over the things we're working with. Um, we, you know, we, we dream of it, but sometimes it's just good to put it aside. Um, do something else. I find taking a walk is great. Watch some TV, listen to music, um, work on something else. Um, do something maybe that, that's a lot different, but, um, yeah, just understand it, it might not come to you right away. Um, it might not be perfect. It might never turn out, turn into something that you want. And that's okay. That, that's fine. Um, it, it's hard because as an artist, you know materials are expensive. And there's that practical part of you <laughs> just thinking, oh, man, I just wasted money you know, on, on canvas or those paints. I used all that paint. And I got nothing. <laughs> I just got this big mess. Um, how do I get my money back? <laughs> you know, sell their art. Yes, yeah. <laughs> sell more art. Of, yeah. So uh, well, that's the thing. Is like you always have so many other pieces that you feel like um, are resolved. I always I like that word resolved. Uh, yeah. You know, David, our friend Dave, and I have always talked about that because when when you teach art. A lot of kids will come up to you and they'll, they'll say, I'm finished, mm. I'm done. Yeah. And it's like, well, really? You know, like I love that Picasso quote that, you know, artwork is never really done. It just yeah. stops in interesting places. Um, but I, I feel that idea of like resolve going back to that Gerhard Richter quote that you were talking about. Like it, his art reaches a point where he feels like it's resolved. Yeah. Like there's, there's not much more that can happen to it. It, it feels like it's um, come full circle. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I like that. And I, I, I like that term resolved. And, you know, I look around my studio. Yeah, I've got tons of work that's not resolved, that's not finished, that's still in progress. But mm-hmm. I have so much work, though, that is resolved, yeah. that does feel finished. So I think that's always kind of that play, that, that balance that you have to understand. Like, yeah, you're not going to have, not everything that you start to create is going to end up being some fabulous piece yeah. that's hanging on a wall. And yeah. I, I just, I think even just logistically, mm-hmm. that's not a good mindset. It just, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think especially when you're working with art that's of a more abstract nature, as opposed to say more a, a landscape painter where you set out to paint a, a certain scene, you build the layers and you know, eventually that, and, and maybe even with landscape painters, I'm sure. I mean, I tried my hand at it. You know at a certain point, oh, um, that looks finished. That mm-hmm. looks resolved. Um, but, yeah, you're right. And, and the, the two words that art educators despise most is I'm finished. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and I think it, it goes back to this notion of like um, projects that a lot of art teachers teach projects mm-hmm. and it's so the kid, they finish a project and it's like, okay, now what? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like my last few years of teaching, teaching more of a choice-based curriculum, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, the kids would be like, I'm done. I'm like, okay, what, what so now what? Next? Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what? What's next? What are you going to exactly. do next? Yeah. Um, but then even when they would say that I'm done, I'm like, all right, well, have you gone back? Have you looked it over? Have you checked yeah. it out? What else can you, you know, maybe do? I'm trying to get kids to kind of kind of see that. So, um, all right, so talking a little bit more about school. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've taught school now, you said 18 years? I just finished my 18th. Wow. Yeah. Sub for four. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's been a journey. Um, you know, you, you have good days and bad days. Um, Sometimes it takes all of your energy out of you. And other days you come home recharged. But I mean, this is this is nothing new to you. You, 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 you know this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it might be new to some of our listeners because yeah. um, hopefully we got a got a few people listening to this out there. Uh, and this is really for everybody. It's not just for art educators. Mm-hmm. But um, so, how do you how do you feel, or do you feel like there's a connection between your teaching and your art? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think when I teach art, um, it's not just me going in to do a job. Um, I think my my mission or goal is ultimately I, I want kids, I want young people, um, first and foremost, to be more curious about the world around them. And I find that art opens up people's curiosity. It, it takes you places... Um, that you might not have gone before mentally and and physically you know chris and i always say how art being in the art um not to veer too far off the subject but it forces you to to go out to places and meet new people and 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 discover new places and it's just um i want kids to be more curious about um their their world but also i want them to be more empathetic um i find that art overall makes you more empathetic as as a, a human being um, you think more about the world around you um, it's interesting because we have such a uh, culture that um, I guess encourages oh I, I don't know um, competitiveness um, <laughs> it's always life know. is a competition yeah in, in so many different ways um, you know I, I think about the emphasis on sports and and, and I love sports I, I like how sports um, teaches you teamwork, um, camaraderie, but also there is a large level of competition, yeah. and I, I feel like we need more of a balance. It, it would be nice to see um, art instilled in our culture and young people more um, through education and with parents. And I, I always applaud parents who who encourage their kids to have that little creative space in their home. <laughs> yeah. You know, when kids tell me that, it, it makes my day. It makes me. I tell them, well, thank your mom, dad, thank your parents. They're they're good people. They're doing good things. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you talk about you know this idea of competition. I I see that even in art classes with with young kids. That yeah. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why you hear as an art teacher, I'm done. I'm finished. Is yeah. because to them it's almost like a race. Oh, I'm the first one yeah. done. Yeah. And uh, I. Again, Dave and I have talked about this before where, um, you know, he says that he remembers in math class, you know, like basically who 
you know, it was like a, a competition to see who could get their math test done yeah. quick, you know, the first. You it was know? never me. And that was. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think there is, I think there's this, there's something about our culture that really instills this, this idea of competition. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, what if we re- replace that with like collaboration? Yep. You know, Absolutely. so that might be like, um, uh, Ken Robinson. I, I admire Ken Robinson so Love much. Ken Robinson. Uh, but in one of his books, he talks about how uh, in um, in school, if you ask your friend for an answer, that's cheating. But in the real world, that's called collaboration. True. You know, and uh, I think that's kind of goes back to that mindset. Mm. Um, and so thinking of Sir Ken Robinson, uh, one of his most famous TED Talks is titled uh, do schools kill creativity mm-hmm. and it's been viewed millions of times i've watched it a countless number of times mm-hmm. um so how do you feel like i mean because you're in an elementary yeah. school you teach um are you teaching kindergarten now i am okay yeah. so you're you're teaching k through five uh so you have kids that come from you know different teachers different classrooms mm-hmm. um you've you've subbed before in different classes you do summer camps and things so do you think that like schools um are in some way maybe maybe not killing creativity but curtailing it or how do you how do you see that like yeah. the idea of creativity in yeah. schools i um i i don't think it's so black and white i feel like there there's a lot of gray area there um and so much of it depends on the, the school system you're in um the, the administration, the teachers, the culture. I, I do think as a whole, at least from what I'm witnessing, as the, is that um, schools are slowly but surely coming around to embracing um, a more open-ended, creative um, way of educating um, young people. I, I think it's happening, and I'm very optimistic. Um, you know, even this year, there's less emphasis on um, the SOL testing, which blew my mind. You know, I remember it used to be such an extensive, long thing, and I think it was just like a few days this year. Um, you know, so I, I feel like people are coming around. You wish it could happen a little faster. Yeah. I, I mean, even in my own practice as an educator, when I first started out, I would do what would be almost called like this somewhat cookie-cutter kind yeah. of lessons. And gradually... I started allowing more freedom as far as how kids can approach them and present them with a loose framework, but see see what they could do from there, what they they could bring to mm-hmm. the table. And many times I, I would get ideas from the kids. You know, I would I get inspired <laughs> I, from them. I always know? get ideas from my students, whether they're kids or whether they're the adult students. Um, I I for me that's one of the reasons why I love teaching is that yeah. that connection with other people. And one of the things that I loved about love about little kids is that many of them are very uh, uninhibited. They have yeah. what I would call a lot of creative courage. You know, yeah. it's like they just don't really think about it. They it's don't judge it, and they'll just do a drawing real fast. You know, mm-hmm. and they're like, here, yeah. here, here's my princess. Here's my unicorn. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's then, infectious. Yeah, and and that idea of just like going for it, mm-hmm. um, having a go as, as the uh, English say, <laughs> and really just doing it. Um, and having that, that confidence that I'm just going to do this and it's going to turn out great. Yeah. Um, and I think as adults, a lot of times we, 
we don't like that. We're, we we get really kind of reined in. and yeah. um, That doesn't look like something <laughs> I want it to look like. Or... But but when I teach adults, though, it's like I, I teach it the same way I teach kids. You know, I show them, here are some techniques, here are some ideas, mm-hmm. here's what I've done with it, what can you do with it? And I love seeing what they do because mm-hmm. they'll take what I do and totally spin it around and do something totally different. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I never would have thought yeah. to do something like that so it's always really cool to to see that um well it it's a, a testament to how diverse we are as human beings and um you know it just shows how, how we all have similarities but we're also very um different too which i don't think is necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. um you see that in people's works there are a million and one ways to approach something yeah. like, like a, a visual journal so many <laughs> So many different things that you can do. I always loved it when uh, when I'm teaching, and you know, it's like I'm no longer a public school teacher, but I teach yeah. at at the Round Hill Art Center. I do private lessons and stuff. But I love it whenever kids ask me, like, "Well, how how do you do this?" And they'll ask mm-hmm. me, "How you know how do you draw something? How do you you know make something?" And I, I tell them, I said, "I don't know how you would do it. Mm-hmm. Here's how I would do it." Yeah. yeah. And I love that because it's it it's that notion like there is all these different approaches all these different ways of doing it and what i find is i'll often show them what i consider is like the best way to do it like how i would do it mm-hmm. but then they they go and just do it how they want to yeah and they they figure out a different solution that's not quite as complicated because you know especially when you're yeah. an adult and you're teaching you know seven-year-olds you have to simplify it yeah. yeah and so like i might show them something that just is a little technically too complicated but then that sort of forces them to go, okay, I got an idea. It gives them sort of yeah. an idea of how they might solve the problem. And they go and find a very unique solution to that. Well, so. Yeah, it shows how art teaches problem solving. You know, when we're making art, we are constantly solving problems. Yeah. We're, we're constantly trying to figure out how, how to do things and, and take one step into the next step. It's so. And I like how you were talking about earlier about how it's a reaction. Like we react to what we have there. Yeah. Um, again, I think there's this 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 myth, this idea that artists visualize. They have have this picture in their head, and then they set out to make that picture. Yeah. And yeah. I've talked about it on the podcast before about how there is there's two versions of our artwork. There's the artwork that is in our head. That's art that we are mentally envisioning and then there's yeah. the actual artwork and yeah. rarely do the two ever align well it's it's like a metaphor for life isn't it i mean you <laughs> yeah. know that we we envision these things at this path that we want to take and exactly how you know when i i'm 30 years old i'm going to do this and then when i'm this age i'll be that and and but really, you know, reality is just a big old mess, <laughs> right? And that's how art is. Or but, it, t- it takes yet, you in a totally different it's a big, direction. It's a beautiful mess sometimes, yeah. right? So. Well, and I think it's that idea of um, it takes you in a direction that you weren't expecting. Yeah. You know, whether yeah. it's life or whether it's art. And that's, I always feel like I want to be discovering something when I'm making my yeah. art. That if I'm not discovering something, if I already have well, it all planned out, yeah. what's the point? Yeah, right. if, if I have it already planned out, yeah. why am I going to make it? It's Because it, yeah. I can never make it exactly the way I no fun envision in it. Yeah. yeah. So I want to go back to something that you said a little earlier when you were talking about, um, you know, teaching art. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how 
uh, art often for you, like gets you out of the house, takes you to places. So one of the things that I've been really impressed with, uh, with you over the last, I would say maybe 10 years or so is your ability to like find venues to Mm -hmm. showcase your work. Mm -hmm. It seems like every so often you're like, Hey, I've got this exhibit at Mm -hmm. this place or at that place, or I've got work here. So, um, there might be people out there that are, are kind of wondering like, how do you, how do artists go about? So they, they, maybe they've made some work and they want to try to get that out there. So how have you sort of been really good about getting not only pieces in displays, but even having like your own shows and such? Mm -hmm. What, I, I think it doesn't hurt to um, just just keep the radar um, up and, and keep your eyes peeled. Um, look for group shows. You start figuring out um, where, what's worth your time, what might not be worth your time. Um, be nice. Be, be nice to everyone you meet. Um, <laughs> try not to be pushy. You know, that don't, don't just say, hey, I want a show. You should give me a show because my work is good. Well, there are a million other people waiting in line who would also like to have a show as well. So I think it's just a combination of, um, you know, just getting putting yourself out there, which for me, and, and again, um, you know this, I, I'm kind of a very introspective person. Um, I might be considered a, uh, what do you call, um, an, an introverted or an extroverted introvert? Extroverted introvert. Like, I, yeah. I like people. I love talking to people. I like going out, but I also need my downtime and that could be for hours at a time (laughs) i need my alone time um if it wasn't for art and even art teaching i I might be a hermit with a long long beard and and well your your nickname in college was turtle boy (laughs) turtle boy yeah well yeah and it was funny because i have a turtle i was gonna say some people thought you were very very quiet and very shy yeah. yeah um uh, but as you discover, once you get me talking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just just get out there and, and find um, find what's out there. Find what's interesting to you. Stay interested. Um, and, and again, I, I think the number one, it's so basic, but just be nice to people. <laughs> Not in a fake way, but genuinely yeah. nice and, and be interested in what they're doing too. Um, and you've got a unique kind of uh, view on that with, since your wife, Chris, manages a a local gallery and deals with artists Mm -hmm. you often are helping her yeah uh, hang work pick up work you know yeah um you're there as she is dealing and you're you're kind of dealing with some some of these artists Mm -hmm. um so you definitely kind of have that back end view of it as well as the front end as an artist approaching these places but i'm always i'm always impressed with sort of the wide array of places that you have shown your work yeah. And um, and some of it's sort of like how did how did he even know about that place? So, do you like specifically seek out like uh, places, or are there like artists that you are like, oh, that person's having a show, I'm gonna go see that person? Yeah. What's what, sort of what's your approach to? You said like kind of you know keep your radar open mm-hmm. and you know kind of be on the lookout, but how is it that you find all these like yeah little I mean, it's... little galleries and spaces around? It's more the latter than the former. Um, the whole, that person's having a show, I should check that out. Um, you know, some people keep these lists, and, and they're, they're checking them off. Why well, apply to this and this? And sometimes I do that, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But a lot of it is chance. A lot of it is, um, you know, not completely chance. You, you do get in your car, you drive out, you go to the gallery, you make the effort to see someone's show, you talk to some people. 
Um, you might email them and, and congratulate them on a great show. And that, that starts a dialogue, and that's how things kind of happen, mm -hmm. I think. Um, you might post, you know, in this day and age, it doesn't hurt to, to post about this show. And that might get you on someone's radar, whether you meant that or not. And they, they yeah. say, oh, wow, you know, that's okay. Let, let's check out what this person's <laughs> about. You know, I, I think yeah. it's important because, you know, we are, as creatives, as artists, um, we're all on the same ship. And I, I feel... We should help each other. You know, we really yeah. should support each other. We, there's enough room for all of us, um, and there are plenty of venues and places to display our work. I think if that's what you're yeah. into, you know. I think it goes back to that idea of competition. Yeah. I, mean, I think there are a lot of artists out there that just feel like it's a competition, mm -hmm. and you're competing against other artists. Yeah. Whereas if you can kind of look at it as more of a collaborative, uh, collaborative thing. Yeah. Um, I always like that that notion of like you know we lift each other up yeah and so as we lift each other up well we're going up too you yeah, know and exactly and like you said there's tons of spaces out there yeah. and places to kind of uh, show show your work um, so I want you to uh, kind of along that lines and mm -hmm. line on the lines of just kind of posting something and this and that yeah um, you were very fortunate several years ago to do a collaboration yeah with an artist that you really <laughs> admire yeah. Yeah. So uh, you probably know I'm talking about J.J. Cromer. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, people might not know who J.J. Cromer is. So we Everyone kinda, should. <laughs> we talk a little bit about him and then how you kind of ended up collaborating with, with yeah. this guy? Yeah, um, I, I first saw J.J. Cromer's um, artwork at AVAM, um, the American Visionary um, Museum of Art in Baltimore, um, which is basically is, is a big, amazing museum that showcases work from what would be known as self-taught artists, um, artists known as visionary artists, or um, oh, outsider artists. So, so kind of that, even folk art, um, all kind of in that, that kind of loose conglomeration. And his work in particular ju just spoke to me, um, the colors, um, the collage element, just the intricacy and, and his, his um, knowledge of composition just blew me away it just it took me to another place and I would follow his blog and, and I just remember one day I, I emailed him I just said hey you know keep doing what you're doing JJ I, I really <laughs> love your work I, I love seeing your art um, and he, he got back to me pretty quickly and, and he thanked me um, and he told me about an exhibit um, in, uh, in DC to check out, which I ended up blogging about. But eventually he said, hey, would you wanna just do a little collaboration, like, like a mail art collaboration or something? And of course, I, I thought, I, I must be dreaming. You know, it's <laughs> kind of like playing baseball and getting invited to play baseball with your, your favorite baseball player yeah. or something. And uh, long story short, over the course of I think maybe a half year, we, um, we both started six individual pieces, um, and, and I'll be perfectly honest, I think he contributed contributed to about 80% of it, being, <laughs> being the type of work he does. Yeah. You know, he just, he, he fills every little space incredibly. I don't know how he does it, but, um, and we, we thought, well, this, this collaboration turned out pretty cool. What, what if we could get some kind of show through this? And um, I, I did find out about um art enables and um it, it just so happened that um 
one of the women working there, Mary Linegar, was a big fan of his work. And she got back to me a little bit later, a few days after I emailed her about possibly having a show. She's like, well, I actually am a collector of J.J. Cromer's. <laughs> I'm a big fan myself, and um, we would love to give you a show. Um, and eventually we, we ended up not keeping um, any of the money from the exhibit. We, we donated um, that money to Art Enables mm. to help the artists there. And if anyone doesn't know um, what Art Enables is, um, it's basically an art space um, in Washington, D.C. on Rhode Island Avenue. And they help um, adults with special needs create their own artwork and actually make money from their work and exhibit their work. It's an amazing place. Um, but they had a little um, basement, kind of like underground gallery space, mm -hmm. too, for other artists to show in as well. And uh, that's how we got it. And, um, yeah, it, it was just a, a really cool, incredible experience, <laughs> you know. I, just, I find it just really interesting, that idea of, like, you know, that connection of... Uh, I just sent him an email and yeah. just to say that I admired his work. Yeah. And, um, that's, that's the one thing I want to do more of is to reach out to these people that I yeah. really admire and say, hey, look, I really admire your work. Yeah. Even if they get, you know, a million other emails mm -hmm. like that, it's still, I think it's good, a good idea to kind of reach out yeah. to, to those people. Um, so uh, anyway, I, I, I'm kind of quickly running out of questions, <laughs> but uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about or uh if not we can kind of dive into this last kind of question that i have and kind of wrap it up well i mean i could talk forever but <laughs> let's let's just dive into the last okay. question so you know this, this podcast is all about artistic accomplices and mm -hmm. i think hearing the stories of other artists is very inspiring and um so but the idea of artistic accomplices like you know be, being that those words of encouragement of of being that voice in somebody's ear. So um, is there like a piece of advice or like one takeaway that, that you have as an artist that maybe you can impart to the listeners to kind of uh, maybe help them spark something with their creative work or yeah. so what? Yeah. So I don't know if I phrased yeah, that very no, well, but you did. Um, <laughs> I, I would say, Stay curious, stay interested, um, find out what you like, what, what are you interested in. Um, a lot of times we, we want to ch chase trends that we see on Pinterest or on Instagram or, or, or do something that you think you should be doing, but be true to you and, and try to figure out what, what are you genuinely interested, what, what can you focus on that might bring you happiness um, as part of a creative endeavor. But also um, try to be open-minded. Get yourself out there in the world. Go to some museums. Um, walk around some gardens. Take a hike. Um, I think all those things. Um, hang out with someone um, who might be a little bit different from you. I think all those things contribute to your creativity and your artistic um, endeavors as well. Um, and, and don't be afraid to mess up. Um, I, I think <laughs> you know a lot of people, they, they want instant gratification right away and especially in this day and age and and they want to have fame right away <laughs> um don't seek fame you know just 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 yeah. try to do your thing and, and um try to be content um it, it's it's okay being um I, I guess having a drive having that that fire 
in your eye, that spark, but at the same time, um, just, just know it's a gradual process. It's not all going to happen at once. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of artists are, that are start, first starting out, that they want to really just kind of copy somebody because, oh, that worked for them, so I know I could do it and yeah. make it work. So It could be a good starting point, yeah. but eventually you do have to kind of yeah. find your own route yeah i think it's it's great to be able to like pull in influences and, absolutely and yeah. kind of meld that together into your mm -hmm. own thing I, I think that's how we all i think that's how all artists how work. all of us work yeah. so uh, that's why i love that idea of artistic <clears throat> accomplices of being able to uh influence and inspire each other so mm -hmm. um amen <laughs> well steve i really appreciate you being here today it was a great conversation lots of yeah. like little nuggets that are kind of floating around in my head from <laughs> what we were talking about so it's an absolute uh, pleasure <laughs> so uh thanks so much really Thank appreciate you, sir. it this has been artistic accomplices i'm your host eric scott thank you for joining me